from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. First, After dinner, Jenks excused himself, pleading fatigue, and left Jenny in the reading room, thumbing through French fashion magazines. He went out to the lobby. Hi, welcome to the show. My name is Hugh, I'm joined by Hunter. Hunter. That's me. And this is For Christ's Sake. And we are yet again ploughing deep into the debut novel of Michael Crichton's shooting him, John Lange, Odds On. And also Michael Crichton himself. Odds on. We're reading odds on. We're going through odds on. That's true. Is that clear? It is. We are continuing our deep dive into odds on. Odds on. Are we odds, odds, on? On. Odds, on. odds on. Odds on. Odds on. Odds on. Odds on. I've got some wine. I've got some banana cream biscuits. You've got a whiskey. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Crackers. We, should, we should make clear, Hugh. Those, those snacks and drinks that you just listed at rapid fire speed are our signature drinks. The uh, one of the key components of our podcast that we're going to switch out every book uh, book that we read. Yep. And we also encourage our listeners to drink and eat along with us. We sure do. With the same snacks or whatever snacks you want. It's up to you. Who cares? Or drinks. It doesn't matter. Just do or whatever drinks. you want. <laughs> Just listen to our podcast. Live your own life. Don't listen to the podcast. Uh, so, Hugh, it's safe to say that our last uh, chapter that we read of this book uh, was a little more than a concentrated burst of misogyny and Crichton's fixation with uh, young college girls and their massive breasts. Uh, Hugh, do you think this chapter offers anything else besides that? I don't remember anything about this chapter you left to me. <laughs> <laughs> where, where were we, like, when we left off, like, where were we up to in the story? Did the last chapter progress anything in terms of plot? Um, the heist had begun. <laughs> Jig set the bombs. Jenks set the bombs under the bridge. Yep. Miguel and Brian are breaking into rooms. That's it. That's all we got. That's the yeah. entirety of the last half. So the heist has begun. Okay. So, Hugh, I'm sorry to say that uh, if, the, if the last chapter was memorable because of its punctuations of misogyny, this chapter is memorable not at all, <laughs> I believe. But anyway, we'll do our best to recap and synopsize and perhaps offer a few notes on. Shall we? I'm scrolling through the chapter on my phone mm. and I noticed that I haven't highlighted anything from this chapter. So. <laughs> I highlighted but one sentence. I believe this okay, is good. the shortest chapter that we've read so far and honestly, probably the least consequential. So, yeah. But uh, again, uh, we are professionals on the show and just because a chapter is not worthy of our attention, we're going to give it our attention anyway. Am I right? <laughs> what? What's up? I'm just trying to speak, but I'm got a mouthful of banana cream biscuits. Come on, come on, swallow your biscuits. Get some wine in there. 
Uh, mm. All right. So the first storyline that we engage with, uh, as is uh, most often in this book, is um, a Jinx uh, section. So let's start with that. So Jinx um, uh, does does his business with Jenny, as we discussed last time, which we don't see in this. Uh, and then uh, he briefly talks to Annette. And I thought this was notable because um, <laughs> she's like, how is your swim? Whatever. And then Jinx thinks she was looking quite radiant. Something was going on with that girl, he thought. And uh, you know what the thing is, Hugh, is that uh, she's getting uh, Love. a little big dick from um, Brian. Am I right? It's love. Yeah, yeah, sure. Don't be so cynical. It's not yeah. lust. It's, it's love. It's, it's, it's a lust. Annette has fallen for Brian. Brian has fallen for Annette. That's, that's, that's not true. That's Jane? Not true. Jane, yes. Jane is the name of the very first female character that we encountered in this book. She set the template for all female characters to be encountered by us henceforth. That's not true. There is one exception who we will talk about in a little bit. There is one exception. And, and the funny thing about that ex- <laughs> exception is... So we've talked at length about the fact that all the women are essentially interchangeable mm. and that they're all looking for a man to satisfy their sexual desires. Yes. They go about it in slightly different fashions, but ultimately that is their goal in life, apparently. <laughs> their inner life is to be satisfied by a man. And, and the other woman has already been satisfied, but not by a man. She has been satisfied instead <laughs> by a succulent fruit known only as the banana. I like the fact that when he was conceiving this character, Michelle, Prime was thinking, well, I can't really make it about sex with her. This is an older woman. She's past her sexual prime. Yeah, she, could, she couldn't possibly have, have intercourse. So I need to give her another character trait. <laughs> and then, and then he, he had a, a book of fruit and he was like, mangoes? No. Tamarind? No. Jackfruit? No. Bananas? <laughs> And also she sells pot. That's that's another important uh, character trait. I mean, that's not so much a character trait. It's just something she happens to do. That's her profession. Well, Hugh, o- oftentimes our occupations uh, come to define our lives. That's true. All right. But that is, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this more in a little bit. But uh, first, I got to dispose of this cheeks chapter, or this cheeks section, which uh, can be summarized like this. Jeeks puts on a tuxedo. There is more to it than that. That's he true. He disables one of the elevators. That's that's a yeah yeah yeah, but uh, first that's, that's specifically the, uh, what he does in order to disable the well, other. Uh, Hugh, we're getting that... we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, okay? Aren't we doing Jenks' story first? Yeah, but there is the line that I wanted to read from this chapter is part of the right. Jake story, so we got to okay. do that first, okay? So Jake's puts on this tuxedo and then uh, puts on a tuxedo. Then we, we're gonna do a little bit of for Christ's sake right now. Uh, for crying out loud. For crying out loud, rather the entire podcast is a little for Christ's sake. Indeed. Um, I thought this line was uh, very poorly written, and I was I I was left a little confused as to what it meant. Okay, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Is riding men proud? Come on, let's hear it right about now. For crying out loud, he dressed slowly, giving meticulous attention to details. The tuxedo he put on would not have surprised anyone. Who did not know Jinx well. <laughs> I was a little uh, befuddled by what that meant. You, maybe you can enlighten me. <laughs> the tuxedo he put on would not have surprised anyone who did not know Jenks well. What it means is that 
people who know yeah, Jenks would, be, would surprised be surprised by the fact that he's wearing this tuxedo because he's not the tuxedo okay. type. Okay, I get that. I get that. But why? Why is this included? I don't know. <laughs> that was. It just seems like such extraneous information. As far as we know, Hugh, no one knows Jinx well. <laughs> and it's not going to be relevant to anyone in this story because Brian and Miguel are just business partners for this one job. Or anyone probably ever because I don't think these characters will ever recur in the works of Jean Lange, a.k.a. Michael Creighton. And then Jinx realizes that uh, shock upon shocks, he left a blasting cap out and Jenny could have seen it the entire time mm. they were making love and there is a moment during the lovemaking scene in which she is about to say something and he questions her about it but then she is there? dismisses it and moves on to something else, yeah there is I, I can't say I remember that so that could have been related to the blast cap. It could have been her contemplating leaving with him instead of uh, Peter. Well, they, they established that she wants to do that. I know, but like, I can't remember exactly where that bit of dialogue came in relation to that revelation. Mm. You know, looking at the, the chapter now, I see that you were correct. I did not uh, jot this down. Yeah, so there was there was an intimation of something. Well, perhaps, perhaps Ginny is aware of the plot. Maybe. Maybe she's read ahead. But anyway, you you jumped ahead to this tuxedo stuff. Mm. The elevator stuff that I tried to interject with precedes it. Oh, that's true. You're right. I'm sorry. So what the fuck, bro? I'm losing my mind. So the elevator stuff. He does disable the elevator uh, prior to putting on his tuxedo. You're right. And he does that by putting a special key in the lock, breaking the key off. Yeah. And then melting the key inside the lock. Because because the key is made of some special alloy could, called wood metal, which is a lead and tin. Such as would uh, affix the top of a bottle of something. Or, or the fact that he had wood when he was plowing the lovely young Jenny. Good one. Thank you. And uh, this technique he reasons, will disable the elevator for at least two days. Strictly speaking, he didn't need to disable the elevators in order to fulfill the requirements of this heist. But the computer may or may not have told him to do it. You may or may not have factored disabling the elevator into its calculations. I mean, for a man uh, who is as well-prepared as Jinx is, you would have figured that he would have put that in the computer. Hmm. But anyway, he decides to do it. He thinks it will work in their favor regardless. Hmm. Well, uh, I assume that um, given the uh, wall of plot information that, you know, the only things that are going to matter are things that the author mentions. I assume that the disabled elevator will come into some sort of, uh, you know, it'll come to some greater meaning or usage later in the book. But we'll see. We don't have that much left. A Chekhov's disabled elevator. Well, it's not a Chekhov's disabled elevator because it would have to be introduced, you know, far in advance. It had to be introduced in the first act, you know. Yeah, check off gun is supposed to be introduced in the first act and then go off in the fifth one. Hmm. But nothing like that is happening. The elevator has been introduced in this act and will probably go off in this act too, if it goes off at all. <laughs> Which presumably it won't because it's been disabled. So yeah, so Jinx does that. He, he changes it to, to his tuxedo. Uh, and then um, he sees the time, the blasting cap, which Miguel left because uh, there was an extra one. And Jake slept out because of his stupidity. And then um, he goes down to the pool. This is the second section mm-hmm. uh, that Jinx is uh, 
was centered around him. And he uh, uh, fake attempts to light his cigarette once, twice, and then he does on the third try. So the first couple of times he attempts to light his cigarette, a large flame bursts up from the lighter. Mm. He deliberately projects these flames. Yes. It appears that like his lighter is just malfunctioning and he's startled by it, but in fact it transpires that he is sending a signal mm. to a boat that is uh, further down the harbour. Waiting to receive their cargo. Yes. And so then I think we should go with Miguel's very brief chapter. Here, cha- very uh, brief. Very brief section. section of yep. the chapter. Yes, here. Because um, Brian's uh, closes it out. Uh, and mm-hmm. this is this is what happens to Miguel. He breaks into the room of Miss Shaw. And there's a bunch of bananas there. And that's it. <laughs> Uh, and that's that's the entirety of Miguel. So literally sort of the exact same function, minus the misogyny, of the last chapter of this one. <laughs> then we go to the other lengthy subsection of this chapter, which is focused on our good friend Brian. Uh, lengthy, mm-hmm. but not particularly dense with narrative information, shall we say. Because Brian, uh, if, if, if uh, our audience will recall, was tasked during the opening uh, salvo of the plot... Uh, in uh, to set a fire using some uh, napalm burning substance in the uh, nightclub of the hotel in order to provide another Indeed. distraction. Yes. Uh, and so he sets the device, which is uh, timed for about an hour, uh, in, in, and puts it in his pocket. And he's going to go plan it when he is waylaid by his uh, partner, sex uh, haver, woman of interest, Annette. He initially tries to shake her by saying things like, oh, she probably get back to the desk. It's going to be busy, whatever. But she's mm. like, no, nah, I'm fine. No, I'm, I'm entranced. I'm entranced by your big dick. And then, uh, yeah, what happens after that? And then he decides, well, if I can't get rid of her that way, um, maybe if I ply her with enough alcohol, she'll need to visit the bathroom for long enough for me to dispose of this explosive device before it's too late. So he proceeds to order bottle after bottle of champagne, which he proceeds to imbibe without appearing to be especially afflicted by it. Mm. I think after like four or five bottles in, which is a lot of bottles even between two people, He's wondering, what, how is she possibly still able to go on, right? Mm. And then she finally does go to the bathroom or his room or something, and he's able to dispose of his explosive. So the explosive, we should say, is concealed within a packet of cigarettes. Yes. And when she leaves the room, he throws it into the corner. And that's it, right? What? Is that it? <laughs> I kind of so doubt if you know this, honest. He throws the explosive into the corner. Yeah, he gets, he gets her drunk, and then she goes to the bathroom, and then he, expo- he throws the cigarettes into the corner. Yeah. Although, I'm not sure she actually went to the bathroom. I thought that was the uh, implication. That was what he was trying to set up the whole time, but the way it actually transpires is that she eventually says, after four or five bottles of champagne... Which is a ton of champagne. It's a lot of champagne. 
she says it's time, right? She says it's time. That's how, that's that's the word she uses. Yeah, and and then and then the line that indicates to me that she's going to the bathroom is, she says, "Where is it?" And then he says, "To the left through the red door." So, but how could she not know where the bathroom is? She's the assistant manager of the hotel. Because she's because she's incredibly drunk, Heel. That's why I assumed that he was maybe directing her to his room or something. Mm, maybe, maybe we'll see. We'll see. Or maybe it was just poor writing. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know which one I would be betting on. But we shall see uh, in the next chapter because uh, very unfortunately, that's where this chapter ends. That's that's everything that's written here. Uh, there's no real quotable or memorable dialogue or anything at all. So kind of a, a flat week, I must say. Oh.